As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Jonathan Farrell and Lisa Abramowitz. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg Terminal. Let's get a quick word from Margie Patel, the Senior Portfolio Manager at Allspring Global Investments. Margie, I want to start here with just the real yield turning positive briefly. How much of a game changer is that when it comes to big investments in, say, big tech? Uh, well, I think one thing it shows you is, is maybe the Fed may be nearing a pause as far as the aggressive rate increases people were looking for. And I think that's why the market rallied yesterday, saying, well, the economy looks pretty good. Uh, but on the other hand, maybe the Fed isn't going to be as aggressive because the market, having moved up, has done a lot of their work for them. I, I look, Margie, where we are now, and we all have to readjust. Can you buy bills, notes, and bonds now, as Bank of America suggests this morning, can you actually go in with confidence and acquire fixed income? Uh, well, I think treasuries is more of a, of a trading opportunity. But when you look at high yield, I think that actually looks pretty attractive for the income-only oriented investor. The average yields are between 55 and 7%, and prices are now at a discount, about 95 cents on the dollar. So you have room for capital appreciation if yield spreads narrowed. And also, most importantly, defaults are only going to be under 1% this year and next year, according to the rating agencies. So that means you'll get to keep all that extra yield. So that looks like a good risk-reward bargain to me. Amagi, based on what we've priced at the front end, do you sense things are fully priced? Uh, I think the longer part of the curve looks uh, pretty appropriate. I think we can expect the Fed to try to move up the short end. Again, I think they're going to be talking more aggressively than what they actually do. Uh, but I think the Fed, it isn't like the Fed has a precision machine and they know what's going to happen with each change of the dial and change in rates. So I think they'll be cautious and we'll see a small increase and uh, it won't have a, a much of a negative effect on the markets. Marky, thank you. As always, Marky Patel there Thanks. of Allspring Global Investments. Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more, Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. 
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Jump to Stephen Roach with us now of Yale University and the Jackson Institute of Global Affairs. And, of course, Accidental Conflict is a new effort out by Dr. Roach. Steve Roach, I want to celebrate right now how you, more than anyone I know, was out front on a Fed that looks at interest rates, a Fed that looks at employment. And you said this is a Fed that has to look at the asset buildup within the American economic experiment. I believe we're now where we're trying to shrink the asset buildup. Do we have any history, model, or theory that explains to us what quantitative tightening in whatever form it is will be? Well, Tom, you know, the Fed is clearly in uncharted territory, both in terms of providing stimulus at the zero bound for an interminably long period of time. And it's you know promised to get us away from that, but so far we've seen 25 basis points of that uh, promise. Uh, and the tapering you allude to is is coming off again, uh, an extraordinarily high level. And uh, you know every time they've tried to do that in the past, the markets have had a tantrum or some other adverse reaction, and it sets the Fed up for having a very difficult time. Uh, in weaning the U.S. economy and the financial right. markets off the frothy asset markets that they have created. And uh, that's that's a big challenge. You're right. The, the World Economic Outlook out yesterday really points out the history here of taper tantrum and the testing of yield dynamics and that. I want to go, Steve, to what you weaned at Morgan Stanley, which is let's not forget the back end of the GDP equation, which is trade growth. IMF says trade growth is slowing for any number of reasons, including uh, tourism. But 21, 22, 23, it is diminishing. Are we anywhere near global recession? No, we're not there now. But you know the the dynamic of a um, uh, of a recession in the face of um, uh, central bank normalization, um, this inflation shock that everybody is convinced. I mean, Jonathan just uh, cited some uh, uh, bank report that is absolutely convinced that inflation is going to vanish into thin air. By the end of the year, maybe it will, but the odds are it probably won't. And then you add to that, you know, the the, the geo strategic shocks that are playing out on our screens, real time. Uh, you know, the world economy is facing some real serious challenges, and uh, you know, it, it comes in with a strong uh, post-COVID rebound cushion. But, uh, you know, as we're seeing in China, that cushion can uh, disappear very quickly. Stephen, have you been surprised by this dollar strength? Yeah, putting it mildly. I mean, you know, uh, this is one of those uh, great, great lessons. Uh, I, I should have gathered this when I first ventured the idea that the dollar would fall, that you should never make a currency forecast. Alan Greenspan advised me of that uh, decades ago, and he was entirely right. So. 
I'm prepared to eat as much crow as you guys want to feed me. <laughs> Stephen, that wasn't the intent of the question. Really, the question that I'm having is, how do you even come up with a forecast? How does the Fed even operate in an environment beset by not only uh, really unique circumstances on the fiscal side, but also these conflicts that you're writing about with this book that's coming up, this idea of how does a Fed sort of arrange itself and its forecasts around conflicts that have unexpected uh, impacts on inflation? Well, it's a, it's, it's a classic risk management sec, uh, uh, exercise for forecasters, you know, weigh the balance of risks uh, and uh, assign some probabilities to it and then try to be objective uh, in uh, we, weeding through that. And remember what your mandate is. Your mandate is, uh, you know, price stability and full employment. The Fed does not have to worry about um, uh, the labor market at this point. It may at some point in the future. But it, it's behind the, the curve on inflation in a way that it's never been before. And I've looked at the, you know, the real federal funds rate, which adjusts the benchmark policy rate for inflation. And we're deeper in negative territory right now by conventional measures than ever at any point in history, including the early 70s uh, and the, uh, the early 80s, which, of course, bookend the great inflation. So, you know, the Fed has uh, miles to go on uh, uh, normalization, let alone uh, putting some restraint into its policy if it needs to do that uh, to, to cool off uh, inflation even more. Well, but Stephen, a lot of people are saying, Bank of America included, that if the Fed is aggressive and they are getting more aggressive, that will end up in the same scenario before we started the pandemic, that basically uh, the dynamic of the demographic getting older and not necessarily as much productivity will lead inflation to go back to where it was. Why do you push back on that? And how high do you think that rates really are going to go if you do disagree with this call of Bank of America's? Uh, it's Bank of America, one of my favorite banks. Um, <clears throat> look, I, um, uh, I think that um, the, the, the inflation dynamic right now uh, is one that has far surpassed uh, Fed expectations, most market expectations, uh, and, uh, and, and certainly mine, even though I was very negative on inflation a, co a couple of years ago. Uh, but the idea that um, uh, the forward-looking Fed can count on a return to pre-COVID uh, sub-2% inflation in the face of um, supply chain disruptions, geostrategic uncertainty, uh, a dynamic that has now afflicted uh, wage and labor cost pressure, it's possible. Right. But it, it, do you want to count on that as your best case? Steve, you invented fractious economics. You literally invented it out of thin air. You're the first guy I know that ever used a PDF file to do economics. And you and Dick Berner set up, the wonderful, with Galbraith and all, and Morgan Stanley set up this raging debate. And there's no one you raged more with than Stephen Yen in the dollar call. You have been calling for a weak dollar. It hasn't happened. When's it happened? Well, it may never happen. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, Stephen Jen, my old uh, currency strategist colleague, had this great uh, image of the dollar smile. And, you know, uh, I'm sure he's smiling at me right now and trying to weasel my way out of your, your Okay, question. but Stephen, I don't mean to interrupt, but this is really, really important. We've had a resilient dollar. Most of the street has gotten this wrong. At some point, the dollar breaks. What will be the events that we need to watch for where we will see dollar break? 
Uh, I personally, Tom, I think the dynamic is, is still there in terms of the, the current account, uh, the domestic savings rate. They're all pointing to dollar weakness. They haven't played out in a period of geostrategic uh, uncertainty. And my Correct. guess is if we ever get through this war, uh, you know, once we're on the other side of geostrategic <clears throat> uncertainty, the dollar's fundamentals will reassert themselves. It won't be the end of the world, not the demise of the dollar's status as the reserve currency. But, uh, you know, the dollar's had three major corrections since the early 1970s. And these are big ones. They average close to 30 percent on a trade-weighted basis. And each time they've been triggered by, uh, you know, either inflation, geostrategic uh, uncertainty or, the, you know, some other type of financial event that um, uh, afflicts uh, the, the world, but the U.S. a little bit worse than the rest of the world. And, you know, there is that possibility. And I, I wouldn't rule it out. We're setting ourselves up uh, for dollar weakness, whether that's set up actually gets triggered remains to be seen. Stephen, great to catch up, to hear from you, as always. Stephen Roche there and John. of Yale University. Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. For someone that writes a wonderful research note, James Bianco joins us now. Jim Bianco, president and founder of Bianco Research. Jim, I love, 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 love your chart where you say, would everybody stand up, wake up, and understand that weak Japanese yen matters to American investors? Why? The Japanese are the largest owner of treasury, largest country owner of treasury securities. They own more than China does right now, $1.3 trillion. As they try to hold the Japanese government bond yield at 25 basis points, when every other yield in the world is going up, they're increasing their spread to the rest of the world and they're making their currency unattractive. If they keep doing it and right. the yen is down 12% in a month, it's going to have big implications for their financial markets and economy, and they're a major country, and we're all going to feel it. Jim, what's so important here, and this begins our coverage, I'm going to say 90 days ago, of David Fulkert's Landau at Deutsche Bank making real clear his number one concern is devaluation of currencies against an ever stronger resilient dollar. At what point does yen tip into some form of devaluation panic where Japan has to act? They're very close to it right now. I mean, as I said, they've moved up 12 or lost 12 percent of their value in the last month. They approached 130 on the yen overnight. And I guess the BFJ has got a difficult question they got to answer. They can continue to hold their yield curve control peg at 25 basis points in the 10 year yield. 
or and let the currency go, or they can let the peg go and defend the currency. But they can't do both at the same time. And I think we're getting close to the point where they're going to have to start thinking more about their currency than they are about their yield curve peg. Jim, do you think that people ought to be paying more attention to the consequence of Japanese uh, policy, monetary policy, on the U.S. Treasury market, considering the fact that the Japanese investor owns more treasuries than even China, uh, more than any other external investor? Yeah, they should, because as their currency goes and as their interest rates go, that's going to maintain its relative attractiveness of the uh, U.S. Treasury market. Should they let the peg go, and interest rates rise a lot in Japan, and we saw that last fall when Australia abandoned yield curve control and it rose a lot. A lot of those investors that are buying treasury securities, again, 1.3 trillion, might find attractive yields in Japan for the first time in a generation, and that will lessen the demand for treasuries at a time that the Fed is leaving the market, and other people that are saying that the the treasury market or interest rates of the bond market are uninvestable because of the higher rates, you're going to just lose another major player, and you're just going to compound the problems in the bond market. What does that translate into in terms of how much higher yields can go? You know, when you see yields do what they've done so far this year, and on a total return basis, when you factor in the yield and the price, this has been the worst year in the history of statistics. The Bloomberg Global Aggregate Index goes back to the mid-70s. It's down 10% for the year. That is an extraordinarily large move for the bond market, and it's only the middle of April. As we continue to see this happen, you have to start to worry, and I am, that there's going to be knock-on effects or unintended consequences. The, the bond market, the banking system, the, the financial system is not really designed to have the entire bond market lose 10% of its value in four months. Every other time we've seen this, it's always run, we've always run into problems. Now, I'm not saying we have problems now, and it might be a while off. And we've also seen when you see extraordinary moves like this, I hate to say it, but they continue to go until something <clears throat> breaks. That's what happened in 94. That's what happened in 99. That's what happened in 87. When you had huge rises in yield, they kept going and going, and everybody kept saying it's over, it's over. And it wasn't over until something broke. And that's what I'm afraid of now, because this move is getting into that kind of territory. Hey, Jim, conversations with you are always valuable. We've got about 60 seconds left. When you say something might break, what have you got in mind at the moment? Well, either that the the stock market wakes up to higher interest rates a la 87. I'm not talking about a crash. I'm talking about that they just recognize that higher rates are bad or that higher rates that translate into mortgages and borrowing costs really shut the economy down fast or some kind of a plumbing problem like we saw in September of 2019 with the repo market. This stuff is very complicated. And when you see extraordinary moves like this, you never know what kind of impact they're going to have on it. Jim, super smart. As always, let's catch up soon. Jim Bianco there of Bianco Research. Nobody ever says make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs, to ways to cover rising healthcare costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. 
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Brian Weezer is legendary for his courage on Facebook when it was launched years ago. At Pivotal at the time, he's now group president for business intelligence. At Group M, where away from buy, hold, sell, he really, really thinks about the trends in the industry. A definitive and constructive note on Netflix this morning. Brian, thank you for joining. I'm going to cut to the chase. Can Reed Hastings do a Brian Roberts? Can Reed Hastings Hastings move to a cash flow driven company a la what Comcast did years ago? I think it is already. I mean, if you look at the most mature market, the company is already very profitable. This is one of the things I think many people, certainly in the industry, ignore or don't yeah. think about. Like the company produces a lot of cash flow already. Well, the point here is the industry zeitgeist is he is no Brian Roberts, and you're saying, wait a minute, lose the caution. Can you own shares here, given the collapse and your enthusiasm over their development of free cash flow? Well, I, I would put it this way. I think that the expectations for the company were way out of whack, way out of whack. I think that the company, that the investors were trying to make up uh, business models that didn't exist. Were they misled? This is too important. Uh, Brian, stop. Were they misled by Netflix? I think investors found a way to justify the stock price. That's not uncommon, right, with momentum-driven stocks. You see that with any stock we'll call overvalued. So that happens. So, Brian, how do you assess what the actual value is at a time when we don't even know what the real problem was? I mean, you actually throw some cold water on this theory that consumers were cutting uh, Netflix subscriptions because of the rising commodity costs and the rising costs more broadly. Yeah, I, exactly. I know that there's a narrative out there around inflation being the issue, but you wouldn't see P&G with 10% organic growth or L'Oreal with you know, double-digit organic growth if consumer spending was the problem here. Um, I think the issue is, think about it this way. Spending on streaming services in the United States is about $30 billion last year. There's about $100 billion of spending on traditional pay TV services, traditional cable. There is an awful lot of room to go. And to echo Tim Nolan's point earlier, who's bang on when he talked about the competitive issue, that's the issue. There's just more streaming out there. So, Brian, who's going to be the winner? A lot of people thought that Netflix would be the clear winner. Can you come out now and say it's a lot less clear that Netflix will be one of the winners of the streaming wars? I think there's a very direct relationship between share spend on content and share viewing. If you spend $20 billion in the global industry with $300 billion, let's say, of spending on content, you'll get about 6% share of total viewing. It's actually pretty simple. The algorithm isn't that complicated. If you spend $30 billion in the $300 billion industry, you'll get more viewing. It's as simple as that. Brian, I got to talk about the new mating that we have of Warner Discovery, Hulu, Animal Planet, and 47 other things, including CNN. They have 15 billion large of debt. I believe it's 56% of their balance sheet as well. Can Zavlev pull this off? Can he actually do the entertainment and news artistry of it and the financial as well and bring synergies to that new shop? 
I think it's absolutely possible, of course. I mean, I think we're sometimes looking at this acquisition transaction the wrong way. This is really a Warner Brothers takeover of Discovery, but inserting Discovery management on top of Warner. At least that's what it looks like based on the management structure they announced so far. Uh, to the extent that the company was really well positioned by Jason Kyler for a long uh, future ahead, to the extent that David Zaslav keeps focus on that and doesn't focus on the short term, they'll do very well for themselves. I think the risk is that they start to focus more on short-term metrics, that they try to focus on making the quarter work. Um, that'll cultivate a shareholder base that they won't want. That'll lead to less optimal outcomes, I think. Well, the quarter certainly didn't work for Netflix, that's for sure. Brian Weiser of Group M, thank you, sir. Fantastic to catch up. Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs, to ways to cover rising health care costs and more, Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. When David Malpass joins us, the president of the World Bank, truly in time of crisis. David, I want to cut to one of the quiet stories here, and it does have to do with Russia selling an awful lot of fertilizer to the United States of America. Your shop is led on building the supply of fertilizer critical to this humanitarian crisis. How are you doing uh, I'm happy, happy to see more fertilizer is critical in this planting season. Countries are really at the moment where they they need to get the crops yeah. in the ground and they need fertilizer. So that's good that Russia is doing that. I saw yesterday India was selling some wheat to Egypt. My view is that there really is a lot of supply in the world if it can be guided or if it can be allowed to find the best use. What can your institution do to get us away from five, six, seven standard deviation jumps in agricultural products? We can help with data. We can help with the supply chains themselves. We can provide trade finance, which is important in moving goods around. Uh, mm -hmm. And we can also encourage countries uh, to find new sources to, to realize that, uh, that they need to move quickly in order to increase <laughs> supply. And uh, importantly, Tom, we can encourage the advanced economies to do all they can to release excess stocks uh, and to make more, more products. They have huge huge production capacity. And I think if they communicate that, that will help with the world pricing levels. David, time has become incredibly important when we're talking about issues of hunger, especially for places where the average is half of the income of every household goes to spending for food. Sri Lanka stopped paying uh, debt payments as a result of their need to buy food and fuel. How much do you see this as becoming uh, a routine issue with debt, uh, with debt defaults at a time 
Taiwan when Sri Lanka says the IMF aid is going to take six months, uh, which is going to be tough for them. Hi, Lisa. Different countries are in different positions. Sri Lanka had waited in order to begin to tackle its debt problem, and they continued making payments on heavy debt burdens, including those to China, and so that drains resources. Uh, other countries are uh, have faced different problems, each one of, of uh, 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 unique. Uh, I was in Romania and uh, Poland last week. They're facing the uh, changes in the energy supplies within Europe. I'm sorry I missed Tom when he was in Washington, D.C. last week. Uh, but the, 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 the point is that uh, the world needs uh, to have a resolution process for debt that's more robust uh, than, than we have right now and starts earlier. At a meeting this morning, there was a call for China to convene a creditors committee for Zambia. Uh, I think that would be a very helpful step because Zambia, like uh, Zambia, stopped paying its creditors uh, more than a year ago and still doesn't have a pathway to a debt resolution. I think the world needs to work hard to provide that path, and that would be a good step forward. David, as we try to understand what the obligations are of some of the developing world, do we have a sense of how much is owed to China in terms of loans and other types of debt? There's substantial data. It's not all transparent uh, as far as what the amounts are. So we, the World Bank, puts out uh, numbers on that. You, you know, there's different ways to cut it, and so you have to be careful. The official debt, uh, China is now uh, some 65% of the of the total creditor uh, uh, amount owed to creditors of the uh, official credits. That means government to government uh, credits. So that's a that's a right. type of data. Another type is that the poorest countries are expected to pay out $35 billion of debt service this year alone, which is bigger than the than the foreign aid that comes in. And so there really needs to be a change. That was discussed heavily already this morning uh, at the at uh, IMFC uh, meetings. David, here's the distrust. And, and by no means am I casting an aspersion to you or your great institution. Our Christopher Ancy and his team are really looking at the basic flows of aid. The World Bank is always first to write the check. They're acclaimed for that. Are you writing a check to a given beleaguered nation and they're turning around and taking part or all of that check and rolling it right over, FedExing it out to Beijing? Uh, we hope not, and we're working to avoid that. But the system has been one where uh, that you know that has allowed transparency to to go down and down. And so, in in uh, in many cases, there are non-disclosure clauses in the debt contracts that leave leave it unclear where the, where who why why the payments are being made to the creditor, oftentimes to China. I think there can be big improvements, and it's also in China's interest to do that. And so, uh, because China is a big part of the world economy and can benefit from healthy countries and healthy Does development in the developing world. That's what I hope. Okay, you hope for that. Hope's only going to get us so far, Mr. Malpass. Is there any indication China wants greater transparency so the check you're writing is not going to Beijing? I mean, do they want transparency? 
Yes, they're fully participating. The, the, then the devil is in the details, Tom, as you know. And they, they've, mm -hmm. they've explained yeah. that they're willing to be more active in these debt resolutions if they can actually play a formal role. The, the, and, you know, people are discussing this concretely, that the world was set up uh, under the old debt uh, comp composition in which China wasn't a big player. Right. So the, China's not a member of the Paris Club. It's been the central <laughs> institution to right. restructure debts. Um, the, the G20 is trying to broaden that, and I think they're making some progress. Yeah. David Malpass, thank you so much. The spring meetings of the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund. He is president of the World Bank. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Thanks for listening. Join us live weekdays from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio and on Bloomberg Television each day from 6 to 9 a.m. for Insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. And subscribe to the Surveillance Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Terminal. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.